0: In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21, he says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was then handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And this is where he begins to preach. He's there in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hello. Welcome to the Orange County Church of Christ audio sermon. Today's sermon will be led by Hope Worldwide Chief Evangelist Ben Burnett. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Let's get started. Hello, my name is Ben Barnett, and I'm the new chief evangelist of Hope Worldwide, and I want to express my gratitude today for being able to uh, speak with you. Uh, For those who do not know me, I want to briefly introduce myself. Uh, Typically, if I was at a church speaking, I would hand out a bio to someone, and they would get up and introduce me. Uh, But I don't want to bore you today uh, by reading a personal bio of myself. Uh, In truth, the only thing you would get out of that is the things that I've done And you won't necessarily know who I am. Uh, I, I will say that if you want to know more about me, you can go to Hope Worldwide's website and they have an article there on the fulfilling of this position and you can read some of the facts. If you really want to do a background check, you can check out my Facebook page and see all the personal things about me. But again, those two platforms really only show you things I've done and they don't necessarily convey who I am as a person. So I want to take the next few moments and I want to tell you who I am. First and foremost, I am a man of God. I want you to know uh, that I love the Lord. Those who know me can testify to the fact of the things that I'm going to share with you. I love God. I love God's word. I love reading the word, meditating on the word, studying the word, preaching it, teaching it. And I even love applying the word to my own life. I also love the church. I love God's spiritual body on this planet and I'm so grateful that God has birthed me into a spiritual family that has nurtured me and taken care of me. So I am a man of God. I am also a husband and a blessed one at that. Uh, My wife Tammy is a beautiful, spiritual, strong, compassionate, full of integrity woman of God. And uh, we met in high school at the age of 15 and 16. We are high school sweethearts. Uh, She was a cheerleader at the time, and I was a wrestler and a football player, and she cheered for me. So for 37 years, she has been my cheerleader. And even right now as I make the transition from going to congregational leadership to Hope Worldwide, she has been one of my biggest cheerleaders. And I love her, and I'm glad that we get in a partnership together uh, in the kingdom of God. Besides being a husband, I'm also a father. Uh, Tammy and I, we have three young adult children who are 26, 24, and 22. Uh, We have two daughters and a son. Our son is the middle child. Uh, All three of my children are disciples of Jesus, and they're doing their best to follow Jesus. And they happen to still uh, think that their father... Is a pretty cool person. So loving Jesus and thinking their dad is cool is uh, fine enough with me. Uh, I'm also a minister of the gospel. I was baptized on December 1st, 1993, and then 11 months later was called uh, to go into full-time ministry. And I hear that Tam and I are pretty unique in that we have spent all of our ministry lives here in Atlanta, Georgia. Almost 26 years serving churches here in the metropolitan area. Uh, Recently, I put on Facebook, I actually counted the days from the first day until the last day that I served Uh, in the Atlanta Ministries, uh, was 9,404 days. Uh, Today, as I record this video, this is officially day four in Hope Worldwide. And uh, my prayer is that I will be able to have thousands more days serving uh, with Hope. Uh, Besides being a minister of the gospel, I am also a storyteller. Anybody that knows me, whether we're in a personal conversation or if I'm preaching the word, I love listening to stories, hearing people's stories, but also like telling stories myself. I believe that our stories, our narratives about our personal lives and collective lives are how we get to bridge relationships and come together. So I am a storyteller, as you can see, as I share the word here today. And then finally, I just want to say that I am a grateful man. I stand here today today feeling like I am incredibly more grateful than so many people because God has truly blessed me and blessed my life, particularly at this phase as I transition from congregational leadership to leadership at Hope Worldwide. I wanted to express my gratitude to all of our churches in Atlanta that are part of the Atlanta Fellowship and specifically Bridgepoint Church. I want to thank all the brothers and sisters in Atlanta, Georgia, who gave me the time and the space uh, to grow and mature over the last 26 years. I want to thank all the brothers and sisters in Atlanta for giving me the freedom to be curious, uh, to make mistakes without vindication, uh, to be offered forgiveness when I have fallen short. And especially I want to thank the church for allowing me to... uh, really lean into my curiosity about what God is up to in the world. I also want to say thank you to everyone at Hope Worldwide, specifically uh, the board of directors, which is really full of talented, gifted, spiritual, wise men and women. I want to thank you so much. For this opportunity. I want to thank the executive leadership team and the senior management team, uh, all the staff and all the servants, the insult, uh, I'm sorry, inter- interns, all at Hope Worldwide, and for those around the world who have sent me messages via email and Facebook and other social media platforms, text messages, uh, just know that uh, I will soon try to get back with you. Uh, all my channels of communication have been really swamped over the last week as I made this transition. I want to thank you so much. And, and lastly, but certainly not least, uh, during the process of transitioning from church to Hope, I had the opportunity to have conversations with so many leaders on the Catalyst team, uh, our regional family chairman in North America, uh, conversations with every last one of you, many church leaders, and just leaders around the world. Uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for reaching out to me. Uh, to encourage me, uh, to support me, and to really say that you were praying for me in this role. I am so grateful, and uh, you can't begin to imagine how much those conversations meant to me as I move into this new position at Hope Worldwide, and I so look forward uh, to partnering with you in the gospel as we move forward. Uh, I want to give a special thanks and shout out to evangelists and and my brother and the former interim chief evangelist, Reese Nealon. Uh, I am indebted to you, my brother. Thank you so much for laying the groundwork, uh, for this position as the chief evangelist of hope worldwide. Uh, you did a great job, uh, in your time serving again, laying groundwork, building the foundation for this position, but most importantly, I really appreciate your humility in helping me come on board as a chief evangelist, supporting me and really uh, building bridges between myself and many church leaders who you have relationship with. Uh, I thank you and I'm glad that you're going to stay on at Hope Worldwide and I look forward to the work uh, that we're going to do. Now, all that said, enough talking about me. Uh, allow me to do what I really, really love to do and that is to talk about Jesus. You know, I've, uh, as I mentioned this several times, I've officially been with Hope for four days, um, and I am so incredibly grateful. Uh, The last couple weeks, though, I've been thinking about the magnitude of this message. Over the last 26 years, I have preached thousands and thousands of sermons and messages, whether they've been in retreats or conferences or midweeks or Bible studies or our Sunday worship services, just thousands of messages. But today's message is the first message that I'm delivering on behalf of Hope Worldwide as the chief evangelist. And as I thought about the message today, the more it began to just scare me a little bit because this is a big deal. Uh, There's a lot, I, I believe, riding on this message because it is the first message that I'm doing with Hope Worldwide. And this is something different and I'm still learning things. And as I thought and prayed about what I should share with you today, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to think back to the first time that I ever preached a sermon. Most preachers, and here comes the storytelling part, most preachers can recall their first sermon. Uh, many can remember the day that they preached and what they preached on and the impact that it had on people. My first sermon uh, was not the case. Uh, to be quite honest, uh, If I look back on it, I think my first sermon was probably pretty abysmal. It happened this way. I'm sitting at home on a Saturday morning, and I get a phone call from our lead evangelist. And he tells me that he's sick and that he can't preach the next day. And he thinks he's encouraging me by suggesting that I preach the Sunday message. I'm not encouraged or enthusiastic at all. In fact, I tell him flat out that I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't have enough time. This is not fair. And I even said, why won't you find somebody? i tell you what, I will find somebody that can preach the message. And he was very adamant about it. He says, no, I want you to preach the sermon. And so I did what any good minister should do. I prayed and then I repented. And then I spent the entire evening all through the night. I never slept working on a sermon coming up with stories and illustrations and trying to find the right text and writing all my notes down. And Sunday morning came and I was tired, but I was also hyped because I was preaching my first sermon. And I leave and I get to church and I look around and church is full. It's it's packed. There's more people. Word had gotten out that I was going to be preaching my first sermon that day. And so the members began to call their friends and family those guaranteed guests that we all have and they all showed up and they were walking up to me saying they're looking forward to me preaching and teaching that day they were excited about my first sermon and all their words of encouragement all they did was double down on the insecurity that i was feeling and i sat there as we did all the worship songs and i remember the song right before the sermon And I just finished writing my last notes and praying in my mind and in my spirit. And my wife was standing next to me trying to encourage me. The song ended and I walked up on stage and got behind the podium. There were about 900 people in the auditorium that day. And I opened up my Bible to begin the sermon and I didn't see my notes. Somehow between the first row and the stage, I had lost my notes, and so I looked down at the floor to see if I could find them. I looked around me. I couldn't find my notes. So I told the audience, I said, I, I don't have my notes today, and everybody started laughing because they thought it was a joke. The only person that knew it was not a joke was my wife, Tammy, and she was sitting on the front row, and, and her and I made eye contact, and she looked at me, and she, she mouthed these words. She didn't say it out loud, but she basically said, oh, my God. And I thought to myself, yep, oh my God. And I just began speaking. And I'm not sure how the sermon was. You know, in our fellowship, everybody preaches a great sermon. Every message is awesome. Uh, But I can tell you this, uh, in 26 years, I always run across people who have heard a message I preached, remember the story, remember the point, remember the title. But I can tell you this, No one, not one person in the last 26 years has ever come up to me and said to me, I remember your first sermon. And quite honestly, they probably didn't remember it because it was nothing really to remember. I do remember preaching about the seven sons of Sceva. And if you ask me why, I have no idea. There was no inspiration. There was no purpose. There was no desire for the message because I was doing something last minute. First sermons are powerful. First sermon set the stage for who the person is. It sets the stage and sometimes communicates the vision and the mission of the preacher, or the person that preacher is represented. The first sermon becomes as a flag post for all the other sermons that we're going to do. And it didn't really do that for me that day. I wonder how many of us can remember Jesus' first sermon. And as I was thinking about my first sermon, I thought about Jesus and he spoke many times in synagogues. But there is one time in Luke chapter four where Jesus goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he goes in to have his first public sermon. And I wanted to read that text for us this morning in Luke chapter four, verse 16 through 21. He says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was then handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, and this is where he begins to preach. He's there in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And it says that the eyes of everyone there in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to him, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The primary text that Jesus used that day was Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And I'm not sure how much he used of that text. Luke records just a small print of it here. Maybe he said more words that we are not privy to in this gospel. Maybe Luke just records the, the highlights or the passages that Jesus focused on. But I think that we learn some stuff from Jesus' first sermon. I think his sermon can be a model for really all of our gospel sermons. So I want to share with you two observations and one main point for the message today. Again, I believe that this message is very important because this is the first message I'm doing for Hope Worldwide. This is the message that is connected to our International Day of Giving. And so I want to make sure that I communicate effectively. As I look at this sermon that Jesus preached, the first observation that I see is that his sermon is spirit-filled. At the outset, Jesus, before he begins to really speak, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And I want us to understand just how powerful this is, that all gospel messages or an interaction between the preacher and the audience and the thing that draws us all together, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus is speaking, he is full of the Holy Spirit, but his audience is not. He has not yet left and allowed the Holy Spirit to come, so they do not have the Holy Spirit. I can speak to you today in full confidence that I feel like the Holy Spirit is on me to preach. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is also on you. For all of those who have come to faith and believed and repented and been baptized and our sins were washed away. And the Bible says that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of us. It's not just the preacher. It is the audience that has the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is why in John 14, 15, 16, where Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to come, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you. And then he has this phrase that the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to do greater things than Jesus. Now, Jesus raised the dead, and I don't see nobody going around raising the dead, but I don't think Jesus is talking about we're going to do greater things in terms of we're going to do greater miracles. I think Jesus meant we're going to do greater things because the Spirit is not solely left to the preacher. The Spirit is with everybody. And right now, when we're all social distancing, no matter where we are in the world, the Holy Spirit circumvents any social distancing. There are no limitations to geography or demography when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is taking place right now, I'm in a, a room with three other people and a camera, and the Holy Spirit is upon us and working with us right now. And it's coming with the words that are coming out of my mouth, and it's also coming towards you wherever you are in the world. The Holy Spirit is working right now, and we have to believe that. So every event is a spirit-filled event when it comes to preaching. The second observation is that Jesus' sermon is short. And I'm sure there's some people out there that, that really enjoy the fact that Jesus' sermon is short. It says Jesus came in, he read it, he rolled up the scroll, and then he sat down. I know that I have preached sermons in the past. Uh, I'm not known to be someone to preach short sermons. And I know that I probably preached in the past where the audience has been sitting there waiting for me to sit down. But Jesus' sermon is short. And I don't think his sermon is short because he was being mindful or conscientious of the audience's time. I don't think he was thinking about their lunch plans after church or uh, just preaching a long time. The reason why I think that Jesus' sermon was short is this. I believe that Jesus knew the power of God's word. He preached more scripture than he did preaching, he didn't need a PowerPoint, he didn't need a video. He didn't need a poem. He didn't need a famous quote from some historical figure. Jesus simply opened up the scroll. He read Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and then he trusted that the word was going to work with people. I think Jesus knew, well, we all know today that the word of God is living and active and that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates, that it cuts, that it divides, and that it inspires us. I think Jesus also knew what it says in Isaiah 55, that God's word, it goes out, and it does not come back empty. It does not come back void. The Bible says that when God's word goes out, it accomplishes the purpose and the desire for which it was sent. I think Jesus knew that. Jesus, in wrestling with Satan and the temptation, Jesus told the devil, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I believe Jesus, in his first sermon, knew that he had the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, and that together they were working so that he could get his message across. Those are the two observations. Here's the main point the message of Jesus. And it was really simple. He used Isaiah, and he lists five things here: to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and then to proclaim the year of the Lord. You know, I'm new at Hope Worldwide, and so there are some things I'm still learning. And there are some things I, I don't know, and there are some things I don't know that I don't know yet. But I think I can say with some confidence and work in working the last four days officially that I believe that at Hope Worldwide, it is our desire to help and assist the churches in our fellowship to prioritize the poor, the needy, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and the oppressed. I believe that's what we're trying to do. I believe it is also the desire that we want every member in our fellowship to be able to engage in service to the poor and also have every engagement to be one that is transformative. And I'll say that again, for every member in our fellowship to be able to engage in service to the poor and have every engagement to be one that is transformative. You could take these five statements that Jesus makes in his first sermon and you can actually make them into a sermon series and perhaps they'll be good today, one day. But I think sermon one that Jesus would say that we need to proclaim the good news to the poor and that that is a priority for us and not just a side hustle or a side gig. And what do I mean by side hustle? A side hustle is just the work we do in addition to our primary work. And I think sometimes we might miss the mission of Jesus and think that making disciples all the time is our really our primary work. And then what we'll do is we'll help the poor on the side, that that's a side hustle. And I don't really believe that to be true. And a cursory reading of the gospel of Luke, really all the gospels, but the gospel of Luke in particular, all the way through the book of Acts, which Luke also writes, you could put those two together with a lens of Luke chapter four in this sermon right here. And you can see throughout the rest of the gospel of Luke, all the way into the book of Acts, how Jesus dealt with people that are poor, oppressed, marginalized, disenfranchised, on the edge, how he dealt with them. We get to see that. Now, as I close out, I know that some are going to disagree with that statement that I just made. I can already sense it. But I would also say that Jesus' first sermon came with some disagreement as well. I didn't read the full text, but at the end of it, Jesus, in verse 22, he preaches and it says, the crowd, their eyes are fastened and they are so proud of him and they are so encouraged. And then just Four verses later, in verse 26, when Jesus contextualizes the sermon for them to hear by using two Old Testament stories they were familiar with, by the time you get to verse 26, they have grabbed Jesus and they have taken him out to a cliff to throw him off. The audience went from making just this accolades about this great message to wanting to kill the messenger bear with me i will ask you again this is just my fourth day you may not necessarily agree with what i shared with here today about the priority of the poor. i will ask you don't throw me off the cliff just yet i'm going to trust that this message will come across just like it did with jesus and that i'm going to trust that everybody listening is going to hear this from the context of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and that your thoughts and that your actions will guide what you do. And so just like Jesus, I can say with full confidence, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and look forward to being with you next week. You can find more information about our church on our website, occhurchofchrist.com You can also watch live services on our Facebook and YouTube pages which are located on our website Thank you for listening and may God bless you